Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Till Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. Hi, this is Till Luca. ABMP is proud to sponsor the Thinking Practitioner Podcast. All massage therapists and body workers can access free ABMP resources and information on the coronavirus and the massage profession at abmp.com slash COVID-19, including sample release forms, PPE guides, and a special issue of Massage and Bodywork magazine, where Whitney Lowe and I are frequent contributors. For more, check out the ABMP podcast available at abmp.com slash podcasts or wherever you prefer to listen. My guest today is Boytek Kakowski. Wojtek, you and I have been doing an interesting online project where you've been reinterpreting uh, our advanced myofascial techniques, uh, manual therapy techniques as movement classes using your own Zoga movement form. And Wojtek, you have a unique history and perspective, and I thought it'd be fun to talk to you about that. I thought people might enjoy hearing about it. Welcome, Wojtek. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, hello, everyone. Thank you to you for inviting me, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this discussion. You're talking to me all the way from Poland, so thanks for making the time today. You're a physical therapist, a manual therapist. You've been the director of a couple of medical spas and clinics that feature interesting manual therapy programs. Yes. You've been a faculty yeah, in Tom Meyer's Anatomy Trains programs, and you ran the Polish Anatomy Trains School, where you sponsored our advanced myofascial techniques programs. And then you've also developed a movement form uh, from your manual therapy uh, background. What did I leave out? What else would you like uh, listeners to know about you? Uh, the only thing about Zoga that I would add is uh, that it is a combination of movement and manual interventions. So it's like a blend of these two worlds where, I try, where I'm trying to connect both of uh, interventions through the movement and through, um, through touch and combining these two in um, helping people to find uh, new options for movement, new, um, new, uh, new sense of balance, new sense of um, neutral and uh, finding more easy way of moving gravity. You and I have known each other for some time and have collaborated in various ways, but I, I've actually haven't had a chance to dive into some of your background and some of the key, say, questions or queries that have kind of motivated you to get into this work or even to do the work you've done. Uh, I think the initial uh, initial idea and initial questions that I had in, in my bodywork um, uh, journey was my own body. I was trying to find uh, solutions for myself. Uh, I had the 30 degrees scoliosis in my body, which um, after uh, being 20 few years old started to be painful, started to be discomfort, uh, feeling a discomfort uh, to live in that kind of a body. So I was trying to find answers for myself. How can I help my body to feel better and get rid of pain and um, uh, being able to enjoy life with, uh, with my body rather than uh, worrying about um, the next day what's gonna uh, what it's gonna bring uh, what kind of new discomfort or <laughs> new pain I'm gonna feel so that was my uh, initial um, uh, initial questions how I can treat myself um, and this question has uh, led me into um, questions of how I can improve the work that I do with my clients and how I can also give them tools to uh, become more independent, to become um, um, uh, more um, active in uh, holding the results that we are achieving uh, together in um, bodywork sessions and to deepen them uh, through movement and through the self-exploration practices. So that would be my initial Well, those are really, those are good. Those are really relevant questions uh, for bodywork in general and manual therapy in general, as we learn more about the science or the mechanisms behind what we do, turns out that the client's uh, ability to live those things is just as important as anything we do on the table, if not more important. Yeah. And then they're also really relevant 
issues for our time where more and more of us are, are experimenting with ways to work remotely or guide clients to take care of themselves and where self-care, even for ourselves as therapists, is so important. So your, your inspiration was your own history of scoliosis and that becoming painful for you. And then you, you dove into manual therapy and physical therapy. Which of those came first? Did you train first as a physical therapist or as a manual therapist? Uh, yes, my my first uh, initial um, uh, education was in a medical college. Uh, I started physical uh, education college. Um, during that time, uh, I also uh, uh, did a part-time university in sport education, sport sciences. Um, but after I, I fin finished those two um, um, schools, I um, came back to idea of going to university uh, and uh, training in physical therapy again. So I first I finished uh, medical college in physiotherapy, and then I just went to uh, medical university again for physiotherapy. Uh, after I graduated that um, university. I started to search for more answers and some kind of um, uh, paths uh, for me to continue my education. I knew that uh, finishing university is just the beginning of, um, uh, of learning and beginning of my journey as a therapist. So I was trying to find um, mm. teachers who can lead me into uh, deeper understanding of the body and deeper understanding of how I can uh, help uh, people and how I can uh, treat my body again. <laughs> so I was a, a little selfish in the beginning, really thinking, focusing on my my own problems first. So mm. I started as and a so physio. Yeah, you started as a physio. And then how did you get into, say, structural integration or the manual therapy work you do? So uh, first, I'm going to come back a little bit. When I was a physiotherapist, I, um, I tried oh. uh, different movement methods and different sports uh, during my lifetime. I was trying to find different kinds of movement uh, that are going to benefit my uh, body. Um, so... Um, in around 2004, maybe 2005, um, I started to practice yoga. And um, uh, yoga was a very interesting journey for me because um, as a physiotherapist, I was uh, starting to learn anatomy, biomechanics, uh, joint movements, mechanics, uh, muscles, and all of that. Um, uh, uh, all of that uh, informations have been um, already in my in my head, and I was trying to think about uh, movement from biomechanical and anatomical perspective. And when I found yoga, I started with Iyengar yoga, which is very precise in uh, in in asana it's very precise you know what how your foot should stand what kind of rotation you should have in your femur and how you should turn your pelvis etc uh, and that was very attractive for, yoga, yeah yeah and it was very attractive for me as a physio because i started to see why this foot uh, position actually makes sense um, to keep it in this asana and why turning the knee that way um, have been uh, what kind of effects it have been um, creating in a biomechanics so that kind of yoga started to be a great uh, combination for me so i was trying to uh, do the movement understand it um, joint by joint understand it why uh, i um, i do the, those movements and also starting to think um, what uh, this asana, what this movement can change in the uh, architecture of my body, in biomechanics of my body. So I think, um, to be fair, the yoga um, pr practice and the yoga journey was first. And then when I graduated in um, physiotherapy, I was... Um, First, I learned massage I, and I started to learn different manual techniques like joint mobilizations, muscle energy techniques, trigger points, all of that um, uh, repertoire uh, that is available in physiotherapy. Um, and um, in 2008, I came across uh, Anatomy Trains and Tom Mayers uh, on one of the courses that I took uh, in physiotherapy. It was a kinesiotaping uh, course. So, I was um, um, 
uh, I, I, uh, I was attending that course and um, uh, teacher during the, his lecture starting to show some of the slides from uh, Anatomy Trends book with um, different yoga asanas and their um, influence of tensioning um, whole myofascial chains in the body. And uh, when I uh, saw that uh, slides in, in the class, I had my eureka moment because in that time I was uh, writing my thesis um, uh, in physiotherapy um, uh, university uh, and the subject was how yoga can be um, uh, can prevent low back pain so when I saw that um, that slides it was like yes uh, finally, finally the things that I was trying to understand in my body why this foot position it can influence my hip and my shoulder and neck uh, that there is actually a concept that um, lays the map on the body that can help you to understand why this kind of um, um, relationships can occur in the body. So um, that was um, a really breakthrough for me because the, when I um, bought a book and then when I started to learn more about this, I just decided, yes, this is the pathway that I want to take. Uh, and I, uh, I signed up for training in the UK uh, and um, yeah, and I just went with my gut feeling that uh, that's my path. So I went to England and I did the whole uh, structural integration training in uh, in England, and uh, I graduated in 2010. And uh, that was actually new opening for me because when I came back from that uh, training, my understanding of a body uh, as a system, like a closed mechanical system has totally changed the way I was thinking about my body and uh, the body of my clients. So that was um, that was the beginning. And, and then there was, of course, uh, another 10 years of <laughs> exploration. But that was uh, that was the initial initial start. And then I think it was maybe 10 years ago when or more or less when you first had me come to Poland and uh, it's, I think, you know, for, for me coming from the U.S., it was a revelation because we know, we learned so little about Poland. You know, if you're old enough, you were in the Cold War like me. And mm -hmm. so there was almost no information. And then even after the end of communist rule in the 80s, you know, maybe we heard about solidarity. Mm -hmm. We heard about all this going on. But there's so little known in, in my world about Poland that it was a revelation to come and understand the, what was happening in your country. Uh, both culturally and socially and intellectually, but then also in this realm of uh, manual therapists. How unique is what you've done and where does that fit in the context of how manual therapy is practiced in Poland? Give us a picture of that. Um, manual therapy in Poland is uh, practiced uh, in majority by physiotherapists. So um, to be a manual therapist or to be able to call yourself manual therapist, uh, in the regulations uh, that are here, most of the time you need to go through medical um, training before. So you need to be a physiotherapist and then you need to go through, um, uh, through schools of manual therapy to, to become a manual therapist. So uh, I was trying to think how I can use movement in combination with manual interventions to uh, support the goals um, uh, of man manual interventions. So in from this perspective, uh, I think it is uh, a little um, unique and it's also unique, especially here in Poland, because manual therapists uh, are mainly manual therapists and they don't do uh, much movement mo most of the time when I was when I was studying in physiotherapy uh, university, um, also something that struck me was that um, um, my fellow students, when we went to some kind of movement class, they haven't been very, um, uh, very flexible or they haven't been able to use their body in a, um, a physiological way. I'm not saying even that they sh that I I thought they're going to have some kind of extreme uh, abilities, but sometimes simple movements have been challenging for them. And 
that was something that was really uh, deep in my head. How can we uh, help people to find better movement and to find more efficiency in movement as a physiotherapist if we do not have that kind of uh, um, ability ourselves? So um, uh, my goal is also to um, evoke that kind of a need for movement and need of, um, um, of, uh, of exploration in the movement in the manual therapies because I think they will be much better um, in understanding what this is the situation of their client and how they, they can support their journey uh, uh, of finding a better relationship with their body. That's great. And that's, you know, I want to get back to the, your, a couple of things you've mentioned uh, as we go, but I want to, I want to focus for a second on Poland as a context for this, where again, it's tricky to characterize cultural differences without falling into stereotypes. Say, mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. But my experience of going to Poland was realizing there's a whole different intellectual tradition here that is very detailed and very precise, and you could say very uh, 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 cause and effect oriented with very clear linear causality. And it was difficult for me as a teacher to communicate, say, larger holistic systemic kind of concepts across mm -hmm. that uh, yeah. difference initially. Does that make any sense to you? As a as someone who was there when I was trying to do that, but then also in yourself, because you're working in a systemic way, this, this the uh, patterns you're describing are both linear and they're systemic, which is an interesting phenomenon. Tell me about that. Um, yes, um, um, I don't know um, how to relate that kind of um, um, uh, how we are as a society, but definitely. Uh, people who come to our workshops, they they like details. They, most of them are physiotherapists. They have their anatomy. They know their uh, anatomy. They know their attachments. They know the movements that are available in joints, etc. Yes. So they have all yes. these um, uh, details and knowledge already in there. Um, and um, uh, as yeah. you say, the trick is to find a way to um, to connect the dots, uh, to help them to connect the dots, because they already have a lot of knowledge on um, mm. different little ligaments around the uh, different joints and how to mobilize this little ligament or that little ligament. Um, uh, but um, at the same yeah. time, the big picture thinking is something that is um, that have been um, uh, that have been a journey to to push through through the market in here in Poland. But um, uh, I brought uh, structural integration uh, here in 2010, and I think we uh, we uh, we met uh, together first time in 2011, probably around that time uh, in Poland, and okay. uh, and right. and uh, at that time that kind of uh, systemic thinking wasn't uh, something very popular. But uh, over these ten years, uh, we have done. Uh, hundreds of uh, workshops uh, 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 around Poland. I have been attending multiple conferences and um, giving lectures uh, about structural integration and about that kind of systemic thinking. And at the moment, um, and also osteopathy have grown uh, very largely in the last five uh, years, five to ten years here in Poland also. So this kind of uh, more systemic approach in physiotherapy at the moment is starting to be more ingrained, but it's still something um, very new. And because we are also, as a physiotherapist, we are very strongly um, um, uh, connected to a medical system, to a medical uh, system in Poland, and we connect um, and cooperate closely with doctors, this is also the way uh, how they think this kind of uh, systemic and uh, and cause and effect um, um, uh, mm -hmm. thinking also comes from very strong mm -hmm. relationship with medicine and with doctors. Uh, in Poland, um, two years, two maybe three years ago, we uh, finally we have been regulated as a profession physiotherapy, and we became independent medical profession, which means we do not need a medical doctor to prescribe and.
any um, anything for physiotherapy we can decide ourselves on from uh, diagnosis to uh, to the uh, process of uh, and strategy for for the rehabilitation and the physiotherapy process so uh, this gave us a lot of independence but at the same time it has uh, ingrained us in this medical system even stronger which means we uh, even when we think the systemic way and we let's say when i treat a client and after I finish my session, I need to write that down what happened during the session. I need to precisely explain why did I work on the foot when uh, <laughs> when my client had a hip problem uh, and uh, why do I think this kind of um, 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 uh, strategy was uh, something that will benefit their hip pain. So um, even when we, uh, when we uh, work systemically, we need to relate that to why this can help patient in pain. Uh, so maybe that can uh, also explain a little bit your experiences here in Poland. Yeah, that's, that is helpful. But uh, yeah, I think it is a, you could say it's a, it's a larger challenge we have in this field, regardless of the cultural context mm -hmm. of how do we balance the linear cause and effect thinking with the understanding that there's another level at work, that there's systemic relationships that can't be reduced to that. Yes. And uh, so that's, and it was, is a really uh, eye opening experience for me to transpose my ways of thinking into say the Polish context or any cultural context, understand that there's, there's some uh, innate differences there in our in our heritage and in our education systems that really make that uh, easier or harder. But no, I've seen that change you talked about, whatever it was uh, nine years ago, whatever that I was there first. Uh, it's very different now, this last time I was there, than it was back then in terms of the understanding and the exposure to many different schools of thought. What's been driving that? What's been driving all the fact that so many people that came to my workshop this last time had experienced already so many other Mm -hmm. body work and uh, manual therapy modalities yeah uh, i think <laughs> this comes a little bit from from the history and uh, over last uh, after second world war poland had been occupied and we haven't been a free nation until 1989 uh, when we finally dropped the communism with solidarity that you mentioned and um, after that time, the transformation from communism to democracy was not an easy task. And uh, this first 10 years have been very difficult for people here. So there was nothing available. There was no money. There was no, uh, no business. Um, so uh, we have been really struggling. Um, and uh, I think this was also a driver for for us as a nation to finally, we finally got our uh, independence back and we wanted to feel great in the in, in this country. We wanted to, to build, build up the country again. So people have been really uh, focused on development, on um, investing, on growing, on hard work. And uh, I think this was um, this history, historical context um, made this kind of um, uh, mindset in in uh, Polish society that if you want to achieve anything, you really need to work hard, and uh, it's not gonna happen by itself. You need to work on it. Uh, so in Polish physiotherapy um, um, uh, field, um, people have been educating themselves like crazy. So. Uh, everyone who mm. um, who finished graduate university, they knew that it's just the beginning of the education and they just have been going from course to course, from uh, teacher to teacher um, and uh, trying to uh, learn as much as, uh, as possible. Um, and uh, this is why this uh, market for uh, courses in body work and in physiotherapy have been really big. Uh, in um, uh, in last 15 years and it, it has grown like crazy in this 15 years. I remember when I started to bring you or Tom uh, to Poland first time and there was only maybe uh, 10, uh, 10 big um, uh, companies that or 10 companies that have been uh, organizing courses for um, for physios. Now there is hundreds of them. <laughs> And all of them have worked. So it's crazy that um, even though there's so many organizers and there are so many workshops out there, 
and they all have um, students in their workshops. Uh, so that could um, maybe explain um, uh, what happened here. Uh, and this led, this growth of this um, market has led multiple uh, international teachers to come to Poland because when they have been coming to teach in Poland, the groups uh, have been big. It was easy uh, to promote um, this and, um, and they've been coming back because uh, uh, yeah, it was a big um, a need for that kind of uh, work and workshops. So uh, I think this uh, this led to the development of this uh, market. And then from the client or the patient side, mm. what's how does that work in Poland? Give our listeners a little sense of that. Are they self-pay? Is, is it uh, insurance paid? Is it government paid? Yeah, so in Poland, uh, it, we have a national uh, health service and uh, physiotherapy in national health service is mostly in the hospital, hospitals and uh, uh, NHS clinics. Um, then in those places you have um, in, uh, in hospital, national health service. Yes, national health service. In those pla places mm -hmm. you have basic physiotherapy. So you have this machine therapies like uh, ultrasound, electrotherapy, all this physical um, uh, physical stimulation of the body. And you have also massage and rehabilitation. And this is something that is um, in this national health service provided by, uh, by the NHS. But if you want to uh, go to a body work or to manual therapy, um, uh, um, most of the time, um, NHS is uh, very limited in those kind of um, services. Uh, so, um, at the moment, uh, also most of the um, high-level physiotherapy is private. So, if you want to go to uh, some uh, more uh, more sophisticated uh, physiotherapy, uh, NHS uh, most of the time is not going to provide that for you. So. Uh, me personally, and since ten years, I'm not um, I, I, I'm not, I'm not working in any kind of NHS system. I just work privately, and my clients pay by themselves for their treatments. And this is also true to many of my students. They just have private uh, clinics, and uh, people just go directly to physios. They don't even. Um, and need to go to doctor to get to the physio. They just go to physio directly. But also, um, um, physiotherapists cooperate uh, with multiple different um, uh, professions of uh, medicine, uh, and we exchange uh, patients or clients with them. Uh, so I cooperate uh, also with uh, multiple different uh, medical profession professionals who are. Um, uh, sending me clients who need uh, physiotherapy and I send those clients to these different specialists if they, if they need um, uh, their help at the same time. So it's, uh, it's like a connected um, market, but it's more private market than uh, a public. You mentioned uh, massage therapists within the context of the NHS. Uh, are there massage therapists working outside of that? I know a lot of listeners are massage therapists. Yes, yes. Uh, there, is, there is also a private sector for massage, um, uh, and it's a, a combination. There are some um, massage therapists who are um, going towards body work, and they. And this is also part of our... Um, uh, part of the group uh, of people who come to our workshops uh, but there is also another uh, piece in physio in, in sorry in massage that is working for NHS and this is just a classical like Swedish massage or they, they call it um, um, uh, rehabilitative massage or something like this uh, where clients uh, or patients after different injuries they go for like um, uh, uh, drainage or they go for some kind of sport uh, massage after and uh, after let's say if you had a cast on your leg and your muscles have been weak and they stimulate to uh, your muscles with massage to help them uh, in training and etc etc so there are this is a very mixed market it's um, 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 it was on the beginning when when I was uh, still a uh, uh, beginner in physiotherapy, it was mostly NHS-based uh, physiotherapy and massage. Uh, but at the moment, I would say 
in physiotherapy, it's like 70% is private and maybe 30% is, um, is still NHS based. Same with massage. Great. Thank you for that. That's really interesting. So a little bit about Zoga, a little more about Zoga and some of the concepts you were mentioning. So what, what would you say, one of the words you said was shearing, what, mm. pro, what say prompted your shift from say the Iyengar model, which is probably more about yeah. stretching, at least in my understanding, yeah. when I'm back in the eighties or whatever, when I studied it here in the U S to this idea of shearing or gliding. Yeah. Is that significant for you? I'm, I'm guessing it is. Yes, it is. It is a very important piece of, um, of my thinking. You know, when I practiced uh, Iyengar yoga, uh, it was very frustrating for me to stand in the pose for a long time without movement. <laughs> I'm that kind of a person who is uh, constantly in move. Um, and it was very difficult for me to hold these asanas for a long time. Uh, and um, when I was practicing myself, I was constantly finding these little changes, little uh, changes in different segments of my body. And I was trying to observe, okay, so when I'm in this downward facing dog, how is it going to influence my body if I bend one knee and allow a pelvis on one side to drop? How is that going to influence my spine? How is that going to influence my right shoulder? How is that going to influence my left shoulder? How is that going to influence my left hip and etc. Uh, etc. Et so I, I was constantly moving and thinking of, okay, if I add that kind of movement to asana, what is the effect? What can I feel? What kind of changes I can observe? What is moving away from what? And then, um, f starting from this um, bone-oriented thinking, I moved towards of um, towards soft tissue-oriented thinking, and this also comes from the journey uh, that I took uh, uh, in my um, uh, as a teacher, um, because I started to teach for anatomy trains uh, in 2013. Um, and um, uh, in that time, uh, um, first I understood the map of my, my facial meridians as something static that connects the body, that these are static connections of, of the lines of myofascia through the body that are holding the structure in gravity and help it to find um, a proper balance in that gravity field. Um, that's that's the anatomy change model you say that has its roots in the structural integration yes yeah and it the first my first initial like level of, of understanding it it was this kind of static understanding okay this bone and this bone are connected by this line from this side by this line this kind of uh, group of soft tissues from this side and uh, and then i was trying to think okay if the bone has moved forward that um, means that this portion of the line that holds it, holds it from the front is more short and then the uh, part of the soft tissue that is more in the back uh, from that bone is more elongated and tight etc so this short and long paradigm um, but then uh, when i uh, started to teach for anatomy trains but also a little bit before when i was on my pathway to become a teacher, I was um, um, uh, assisting um, James Earls for uh, for a long time uh, around uh, all Europe. I've been tra traveling around Europe with him and um, listening. James Earls being one of also one of Tom Meyer's teachers, and he I know he was the head of uh, Anatomy Trains UK. Yes. Yes, James Earls um, uh, have um, made another step for Anatomy Trains. Um, with his book Born to Walk, where he uh, combined the myofascial map of Tom with um, understanding of the chain reaction of Gary Gray. So Gary Gray was looking in his system in Gray Institute, he was looking on how different uh, movement patterns are creating chains of um, uh, chain of segmental reactions around uh, uh, of the joints that are allowing uh, for that movement to be efficient and uh, to uh, spread the load um, uh, on all the segments rather than um, putting too much load on one segment which can create pain or uh, or dysfunction. So James uh, studied with um, Gary Gray 
and of course he started before with uh, Tom Myers and after uh, he um, connected those two it was this initial idea to create the book um, uh, Born to Walk where he explained um, the bio biomechanics of walking uh, through the lens of chain reaction and um, how this chain reaction is controlled by the catapults of myofascial chains. He called this a catapults um, because um, this um, long um, uh, chains of myofascia have been loading uh, mechanical energy, storing mechanical energy, kinetic energy um, in this collagenous um, system. And then by um, storing it and releasing it into movement, we have been achieving more efficient and easier uh, movement in gravity. So uh, this concept of chain reaction and looking at the body from this joint perspective and then um, looking at the, the joint movements as essential ev events that need to happen to create this long chain of catapults was another idea that has blended in my head. So I was constantly thinking about that. Um, um, what I learned from James that yes you need to have a hip extension if you really want to create the catapult of superficial frontline in a toe off when you walk uh, or uh, you need to have a um, uh, um, rotation between the pelvis and uh, and the rib cage and the shoulder girdle if you want to engage the spiral line um, uh, in the push of face in walking etc etc or um, or you need to create a counter movement with your upper body when you heel strike to decelerate the pronation in your, in your opposite foot. So um, he was talking a lot about these essential events that if you want to create that kind of catapult, joints need to uh, uh, move into the certain positions to communicate myofascia uh, in the system. If you won't be able to achieve this hip extension, for example, then the line of tension is going to shorten. It's not going to be as efficiently uh, loaded, which means you're going to need more energy for walking. It's not going to be as efficient. But I had that idea fixed in my head that, yes, I understand that there needs to be this um, uh, essential events in the soft tissue, in the, sorry, in the, in the joints. But I was constantly mm -hmm. thinking, Yes, but there are also uh, essential events that need to happen in a soft tissue for these joints to go into these essential events positions. So I was constantly thinking, okay, if you want to have this extension in the hip joint, there are multiple um, three-dimensional changes or four-dimensional changes between this uh, relationship of a soft tissues that move around those joints to allow the joints to go into these positions. And I started to think about it like something that was, um, I don't know, something that was keeping my brain active all the time. I could uh, drive a car and think about it. I could, you know, <laughs> make my dinner and think about it. And it was constantly there somewhere in the back of my head, how those tissues are moving around and what different spatial changes of organization of the soft tissues are allowing or, or restricting movement um, of the joints. Um, and um, that was really something that started to let my journey in this shearing that we mentioned before, because if you want to have this um, uh, hip extension that we already started to give it as an example, there are multiple uh, movements between soft tissues that need to happen. For example, we know that when, you, when your hip joint is in flexion or you stand in the anterior tilt position, um, that AIIS, the uh, inferior, superior, sorry, inferior anterior iliac spine, is diving deeper in the body because the anterior tilt is pushing the ASIS forward, but hiding deeper the uh, inferior uh, iliac spine. So the rectus tendon that is attaching to it is going to move from the skin and back dive into the uh, inside of the body. So it's going to move this, uh, create this movement of going forward and back. And we know that um, uh, rectus um, femoris as a muscle is situated between the sartorius and tensor fasciae lata, and they create like a rooftop 
just on to, uh, just uh, above this um, attachment of rectus. So when the rectus moves forward and back, these two muscles that create this rooftop, they are open, they are sliding sideways when you go into extension, but they come together when you go into flexion, into flexion and um, they allow the tendon to hide and move forward towards the skin. So there is this movement of um, opening and closing of that uh, rooftop, which uh, needs to occur for the proper movement of, uh, of the rectus that is in between them, for example. So I was uh, constantly feeling of thinking. Okay, so let me yeah. jump in for a second. Yes. No, so uh, keep that thought, because what you've done is you've taken us from a stretching model, say, of a Yenga or even our structural integration lineage into a three-dimensional model of compartments yes. that need to glide against each other to open up the space for these uh, essential events. You said Gary Gray's term, I think, about yeah. the joints to happen. Yes. Yeah, and then you've also implied that there's a fourth-dimensional picture of this, that this is what happens, I assume, you mean by over time, that yes. there's like a progression and a sequencing and a dynamic element to all this. Exactly. All right, thank you. Now, I'm keeping up with you. Good. Back to you. And uh, uh, and uh, this is, uh, I started to started to think about it, and I started to understand that this kind of uh, thinking of the biomechanics, it's not something that is um, popular, that is uh, common. I couldn't find many yeah. texts that are explaining that kind of uh, spatial changes between soft tissues. So I started uh -huh. to explore it by, um, by myself. It was through my self-experience on, on the mat when I was going into different movements and palpating my body and feeling of what what shape changes I could notice uh, inside of my body when I was moving. And then, then I also tried to cooperate with, um, uh, with my friend, medical doctor, who is a vein specialist. And we explored these different spatial changes uh, with ultrasound, meeting in evenings uh, yeah. after he was having a whole day of surgeries. I had a full day of clients and around. 10 p.m. we've been meeting in a hospital and exploring, oh, when I bend this way, look, this tendon goes there and then it goes there. So it was a crazy, fun exploration um, to find what is actually happening inside of our body when we move. Because we have quite a lot of knowledge on the biomechanics of joints. We have quite a lot of knowledge of topographical anatomy of the muscles. But I don't think we really fully understand of what is happening between all these soft tissues when, when the movement occurs. Because first of all, we need to understand that all these soft tissues have different um, spatial attachments uh, to the skeleton. They also have uh, multiple yeah. attachments to themselves, so to the soft tissues. Ah. And they have um, areas that um, are holding them more tightly together. And they have areas that are allowing them for more independent movement in, uh, in another areas. As, um, there is another factor of liquid movement. So when these spatial organization changes are occurring, there is also liquid that needs to be pushed from one area to another area to allow for that movement to happen. So there is uh, another layer of understanding of that. And then on top of it, there is um, the movement of the liquids inside of the pipes, which means my our vascular system, but also of our um, lymphatic system and all the interstitium is changing their pressures inside of these uh, areas. And on and even um, uh, even more, there is also all these changes and all this movement is noticed by mechanoreceptors and controlled by the nervous system. So um, I think it is really complicated uh, mechanism or a system, and I don't think we are uh, we are even close to fully understand uh, how this very complicated mechanism is actually influencing um, neighbor to neighbor relationship and how this uh, shape changes. Um, uh, relationship changes and uh, movement changes are actually allowing us for uh, freedom and grace of movement and 
what what kind of restrictions are leading to discomfort or to dysfunction and i think it would be great if the if there would be a little bit more of the scientific uh, inquiry towards that kind of uh, understanding and that this is also a goal my goal for zoga to spread that kind of thinking and to excite enough scientists to uh, to research uh, this uh, field of biomechanics I wish we had a chance to actually do some Zoga here mm -hmm. on the podcast. For sure, let's put. I'm going to go ahead and put some links in the show notes so people can see what you're up to and maybe see a little preview of the way you're applying that to our Advanced Smile Fascial Technique Series. But uh, yeah, you just described a very complex and interesting and intricate interaction between these different mechanical systems. And then, of course... All of this is impacting, say, much more than the mechanics. It's impacting the sensitivity, perception, awareness, interaction of a psychosocial system as well as a biological or mechanical one. So I know that's uh, that's there for you in the background as well. How do these things you're describing relate to pain in your in your understanding and your thinking? Mm, oh, it can relate in in I think many ways. So first of all, coming to this. Um, to pain. If you feel pain, um, mm. then you're going to react to this pain. Uh, I've uh, heard an interesting doctor a few days ago who, who said that there is very simple um, uh, rule of the body. Body always wants to be comfortable and with no pain. <laughs> so <laughs> this is very true that our body do not like to feel pain. So when we have pain in certain area, area of the body, we'll try to create changes in this mechanical system in such a way that we're going, going to reduce the sensation of pain. So we're going to try to take the load off the area that is uh, giving us pain. Uh, let's say I have a pain in my left knee then when I'm putting somebody who have a pain in the left knee, I will, most of the time when I put them on the pressure platform, I will see that they stand much more on the right uh, foot than the left because they are avoiding putting the pressure on the painful knee. So pain is, uh, is going to create this compensatory um, uh, um, um, patterns that are going to try to avoid pain, avoid pain both in static, in standing or sitting or uh, any position that we take, but also in um, in movement. So then the pattern of, of walking or, or, or running is going to change because the body is going to move around the area of pain in such a way that is going to give least possible movement in the area that is causing pain to not increase the pain and inflammation. Um, but um, pain can be also caused by this restriction in the liquid movement that I mentioned before, for example. So when there is too much pressure inside of the certain area and by movement we are even increasing this pressure, the mechanoreceptors are giving information to the nervous system that something is going to explode with the amount of pressure we feel. And then that uh, stimulates the nociceptors that tells our brain that something is going to be injured or destroyed and the body interprets that if the mind brain interprets that if it is a pain or it's the, if it can ignore it uh, this is also interesting uh, thing about pain that actually brain needs to decide if it is pain or actually not <laughs> would you agree there's a stronger research basis or scientific basis say for the gliding effects of movement therapy of manual therapy than there is for say the stretching effects mm -hmm. over time is that uh, is that the way you think about it also yes the the, the science that is coming up from fascia research uh, field is uh, actually supporting the ideas of shearing tissues rather than trying to statically stretch them and uh, we see that actually yeah. the shearing effect is 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 actually creating multiple um changes in a biological system. First of all, it changes the liquidity of, of the system uh, by hyaluron uh, production, uh, by um, uh, stimulation of this um, fascia sites. So the tissues, that the cells that are eating the collagenous uh, densification in, in it. So we know by, that by this kind of shearing effects, we are stimulating that kind of reactions in the tissues that um, are creating more liquidity, more, uh, more relative movement between different layers. 
and uh, more um, like loose connection between certain um, membranes of the body. So we know that all the membranes of the body and all the layers, if you actually think about layers in the body and not like a whole, whole system. Some teachers say that there is no layers, there is just only one net and there are only and areas of a little bit more loosely net and a little bit more densely uh, um, um, organized net. Uh, but uh, this shooting effect is uh, making this more loosely um, uh, um, organized web to be even more loose and allow for more relative movement. And when you think about muscles again, coming to this understanding of the biomechanics of muscles, we know that um, let's say, for example, quadriceps muscle in uh, in front of our thigh have one attachment to the tibia and uh, it takes um, uh, patella with this attachment, um, but then it goes into multiple areas on the femur. Uh, one head is um, surrounding the shaft of the femur and it's uh, the intermediate, then the, the, and it's the most deep one. And then there are three heads that are on top of it. And these three heads have this um, uh, have their own individual uh, layers that allow them, these three superficial heads, to move in relationship to these deep heads. So when you take your, uh, your muscles of your thigh and you just roll the muscle on top of the bone, you can actually feel not only the movement on top of the bone, but also the movement of these three superficial heads on top of the intermediates uh, and we know the, that um, uh, other heads like the vastus lateralis medialis one goes to the lateral uh, side of the tibia one goes to the medial side of the tibia and then the rectus um, is going into the um, uh, to the pelvis to the uh, inferior uh, anterior iliac spine so they have different connections so when you just bend and then extend your knee uh, those different vectors of pull uh, will create a different speed for the movement. So different tissues will be pulled with different um, force uh, in a, a slightly different angle or vector, which will create the relative movement between all of them. So um, and when you think about this uh, movement uh, in the knee, uh, flexing and extending the knee, I know that if I want to have a freedom on flexing and extending, I need to have this relative movement between different heads to allow, let's say, rectus femoris to slide on top of the intermediates and to slide in relationship to the lateralis and medialis. We know that the rectus also have very longitudinal fibers. It's thin and longitudinal um, uh, muscle. But then the vastus lateralis and medialis, they have oblique fibers, they are obliquely oriented. Um, they, the lateralis goes from the outside in, the medialis goes from the inside out. And when they are going to be pulled, they will not only create this movement up and down like rectus, but they will also create this rotational movement that is going to move around the uh, rectus and hug rectus like with these two big bulgy muscles on outside that are going to hug it to the clo to uh, closer and then move um, away from it when uh, when you go into uh, knee flexion and extension so um, this kind of uh, um, thinking of uh, on on the biomechanics is something that is really important for me to understand why I have a restriction in the movement of the knee or a joint. Which, which movement between the soft tissues is not allowing the joint to go into the free movement. So this shearing um, is actually something that is a key point in, in the understanding of how I treat um, uh, myofascial restrictions in Zoga and not just uh, static pressure that is going to try to forcefully uh, achieve different range uh, in the joint. The only thing is that uh, the science actually supports that uh, you can have a better and faster effects when you, um, when you um, um, stretch, um, uh, not in a static way, but in more uh, dynamic or... I, I, I don't want to say fully dynamic because then it can 
it can lead to understanding that dynamic is going to be very rapid, fast movement, but but movable stretching, I would call it, that you are not just holding statically position, but you are moving around the restriction slowly to create this gentle shearing of these neighboring structures um, against each other. So tell, thank you, tell me some of the ways that uh, you hope to develop Zoga. It's a, it's a practice that manual therapists can learn. It's a practice that people can learn for their own bodies. Yeah, it's a practice that you've been sharing with us through interpreting our advanced myofascial techniques. What other ideas or plans do you have for it? So uh, at the moment, I have developed uh, um, two training pathways. Um, uh, first, we always teach um, Zoga movement introductionary workshop. In the, and in these three days, we are um, giving both kind of um, uh, ideas uh, of intervention. So we are um, doing the group exercise experience we are doing a one-to-one -one experience but uh, with um, uh, with uh, detailed biomechanical analysis and um, then movement of a client that is guided by the therapist uh, but we also teach um, uh, manual interventions so in this intro we are combining all of the vocabulary of the zoga uh, to show how um, how you can um, uh, treat the body uh, with this uh, with this modality, but then um, uh, I split the training into two different pathways because I have been uh, teaching um, zoga in last two years uh, to multiple different crowds, and I noticed that people who only teach classes, who only teach groups, uh, they need a very different education than people who work one-to-one. -one. So I have um, made a split after this intro into two different um, educational pathways. One is for people who only lead groups. And um, in this training, I'm, um, uh, I have uh, um, a pathway where, where I teach how you observe a general pattern of the group, how you observe uh, how people are avoiding the movement, movement that you are trying to achieve in certain asanas or certain um, uh, sequences of movement, and how you can uh, help these people to find uh, a way to still achieve the goals um, that are initially in the exercise. And then also how you can use your verbal um, uh, uh, and your touch cues to help these people to uh, to be um, more efficient in their exploration of their own body. And also if somebody have different um, uh, problems uh, that have happened through the injury or through their history of, 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 uh, of their body, how you can uh, support their system to be able to still continue to to develop towards uh, uh, towards neutral towards more options for movement but with safety um, behind it so uh, if i have a group of um, older people with multiple restrictions how i can lead the class to still achieve the goals that i have for the movement session but with the safety for all those um, and ability for all those uh, people so then you need to make a choice if i want to split the group into two or maybe just um, uh, start with very basic thing for everyone and then make those choices during your uh, classes how you can lead them through this self-exploratory process but with the safety and understanding of, of their biomechanics to help them to find a way to achieve those goals and then the second pathway is more for people who work one-to-one -one, and that has a lot not only a movement and group movement but it also have a palpation manual interventions uh, palpation of this essential event in the soft tissues and it's much more um, detailed and uh, anatomically and biomechanically based. And have these been in-person training so far? Are you doing anything online? Uh, no, only in-person training, uh, this one. Uh, in-person training. So we're, we're lucky to have you in our online principles training, where again, you're, you're interpreting our advanced myofascial techniques into your Zoga form. We'll have to think about how to encourage you to come offer some of this, what you're describing online too, because there's, I know there would be lots of interest in, uh, in actually applying and learning what you're describing. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'm preparing now uh, something that will be uh, a little bit more manually uh, based. Uh, I'm still thinking on the on the format of it, but uh, I want to prepare something where I'm going to show the manual manual interventions and how we can uh, combine not only movement but also manual interventions in uh, practice. So maybe in some coming months we will uh, come come up with some new idea together. Fantastic. As we wrap it up for today, anything else on your radar? Anything else you want to emphasize? Too? First of all, I would like to say thank you to that you invited me to this podcast. Uh, it's my first experience yeah. of this kind of thing. Second, uh, I would like to thank you also for uh, our cooperation that we have in last uh, months with this um, uh, principles classes and my translation of of your work into the movement it was a really a joy for me yeah. to try to find the ways to still achieve the goals that you have been uh, trying to achieve in in your techniques uh, through the movement and mm -hmm. uh, some of them have been challenging to <laughs> to translate them uh, some of them have been quite obvious and uh, natural and uh, and and I think it it was also very uh, good experience for me um, how I how we can create this kind of uh, communication um, between these two worlds to make them a little bit more closely to connected together because I really believe that uh, manual and movement movement therapists they should be in a very close relationship uh, as a professionals. Uh, to support their clients in in the uh, in their journey for health, uh, because um, only manual therapy is going to um, uh, give us a lot of uh, power as a manual therapist, because people come to us and we treat them and they are dependent on us, and then in the movement mm. uh, world, then uh, the the person is empowered, but um, multiple times uh, they come across this uh, strong barriers in movement that they cannot move through if they do not have a good manual intervention that is going to help them to move through those barriers. So that's why I really believe that these two worlds should be really closely cooperating together because this will only benefit uh, the clients and also help uh, both worlds to understand more uh, their own work. So movement therapists will uh, understand their movement much more if they will have a closer relationship to the manual therapy. And uh, uh, from the other end, manual therapists will understand more of their um, uh, clients' problems and the, uh, the dysfunctions they treat with, the body, with their hands when they will understand their own body better through their uh, own exploration of movement. So I really, uh, I'm on a mission to, to help these two worlds to come as closely together as possible. Also really stimulating and for me uh, in my own body, but also in my thinking, and then very appreciative of the time you've made to share your perspective and to do it, uh, to, you've, you've helped me in my experiment to do this affordably because that's been important to me also mm -hmm. to find a way that it can have a broad reach and uh, be affordable for manual therapists and body workers to jump in and experiment with movement and bridge that out from what they're doing on the table to their own bodies, but then also what they're doing for clients. So thank you for your generosity of your time and your ideas and energy as well, Boytech. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So if people want to find out more about you and about uh, Zoga, where would you like them to go? Um, Zoga-movement.com is my website. They can uh, find me also on, um, on uh, social media um, uh, with the same address, Zoga-movement.com. And then you and I have done, we're about to start our fourth class together, our fourth series of classes. So we got, we're lucky enough to have three of our past dialogues in your Zoga classes on our website, advanced-trainings.com. And uh, the next principles class where I'm, where I'm talking about headaches and migraines starts November 18th, pretty soon after this podcast airs. And then you're starting a Zoga class with us about headaches and migraines on November 23rd. And all of those, of course, are available by recording on an ongoing basis yes. as well. Thank you. It was a pleasure to yeah. talk as always. And uh, thank you again yes. for inviting me. 
Thank you, Boytech, you know, for taking the time again and for your sharing of ideas and for uh, both mobilizing me and helping me shear between my different concepts and ideas. So for more information about the courses uh, uh, Boytech has mentioned or the ones we offer, you can check out the show notes, stop by the podcast page or our site, advanced-trainings.com. Our wrap-up sponsor of the day is Books of Discovery. Let's hear from them for a second. Books of Discovery might be best known for producing Trail Guide to the Body, but we're also a whole lot more. We bring you the clinical learning tools you need to inform your intentional body work. Check out our kinesiology, pathology, and A&P texts. They not only build the foundation upon which great educators like Till and Whitney rely, but will also support you through your entire career. Books of Discovery is proud to support the thinking practitioner and are offering a 15% discount when a listener enters thinking at the booksofdiscovery.com checkout page. Enjoy the show. Thanks to Andrew Beal and the Books of Discovery for their support of the podcast and be sure to check out their great offer for thinking practitioner listeners. Thanks to all of our sponsors. The uh, show notes and the links out to the videos of Boytech teaching the Zogo work. The transcripts of the class and all the usual extras are on our site. As I mentioned, advanced-trainings.com. They're going to be on Whitney's site. Whitney was not here today. They'll be back next episode. Academyofclinicalmassage.com. The, if you want to email me or Whitney or get a message to Boytech, info at thethinkingpractitioner.com or look for us all on social media at Tiluka or Whitney Lowe or Boytex again is zoga-movement.com. Follow us on Spotify, rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. And please tell a friend. Thank you, Boytech. Thank you very much, Till.